You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Well, I want to welcome you to Grace Church. It's so good to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us in Olathe, those who are worshiping with us in the venue or the cafe or online. We are so glad to be with you this weekend. And I want to take a moment, as in light of Memorial Day, I just want to take a moment and just reflect on those who have given their lives for the freedom of our country. That people have given up something so that we could have freedom. And so let's just take a moment and pause uh, and remember that. Thank you. Have you ever been underwhelmed before? Like, have you ever been underwhelmed before? For me, typically I am underwhelmed when someone puffs something up so big like a movie or some, a piece of, like a food or something else, and I experience it for myself, and I have a little bit of a letdown. Like it didn't meet their expectations. Like when you see the movie, and they say, this is the best movie of all time. And you, you see it, and you go, yeah, it was a good movie, but like the best movie of all time? you got to be kidding me, you know what I mean? For me, I, I had this experience. When I moved to Kansas City, uh, people told me about this, this sandwich that was the best sandwich of all time. And it's, it's a really good sandwich. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a barbecue sandwich. And uh, it's, uh, it's from a place called KC Joe's. And uh, many of you probably claim it to be the best sandwich of all time. It's called the Z-Man, right? And, uh, and I, 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 I bit into it. I was so excited. I love barbecue. I bit into it. And, I, and maybe it just was my Z-Man. I don't know, right? But I bit into it. And I was like, that's really good. But that's not the best thing I've ever had in my entire life. I mean, come on, people. Uh, well, today we're in the second week of our tension series. And, uh, and, and the topic of, of, of our tension today might underwhelm you. It might underwhelm you. The reason I say that is because we, we last week we looked at race, right? When you're talking about the tension of race, right? That in a moment, like stirs up something inside of you. We're going to talk about sexuality in a couple of weeks. That I promise will stir up. It might be un- you might be uncomfortable. It might, but you might be um, nervous. I don't know, or, or just other feelings might flood to you. We're even talking about work life balance, like family life balance. Even that, like maybe the tension of I wish I stayed home more, or thinking about the difference, the, the, the different tensions there. But this tension in particular. I, I really don't think you're going to be wowed by the topic itself, although I think there's plenty of tensions inside of it. But as pastors, the Grace Church pastors, over the last eight or nine months, we've been praying over this tension series, and we've been praying for the four weeks of this tension series, and we really believe that God desires this topic in particular for, for this moment. So are you ready? You ready for the topic? Are you ready? You ready to be underwhelmed? Here it is. It's the Bible, Right? There's nothing, like, oh, it's the Bible. Cool, we talk about that every week. Nothing new. Thanks a lot, Russell. Awesome, right? But uh, you, don't feel the, you don't feel the intensity. Now, some of you, if you, like, you know, are against the Bible, you might feel that. But most of us, we go, yeah, I mean, like, I'm cool with the Bible. I'm down with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Well, whether you realize it or not, there's several tensions that surround this book. And we're going to talk about some of those. And as pastors, we actually felt a tension in our own souls, in our own hearts, is that we long, we long for, for you and we long for uh, this community to, uh, to know God's word. We want you to know God's word. We want you to follow God's word. And we know that when we spend time reading the Bible, when we spend time reading the word of God, that it allows us to uh, encounter God and that when we encounter God, that transforms us. And so we want you to be transformed as well. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful. And then it keeps going about how it's a sword and it cuts to the soul and the heart of who we are. And, and this is a living book. Like this book has the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to change your life. And we truly desire that for each of you. We truly desire that for each of you. We also know in, 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 in the days that we live in, that people think that this book right here is outdated. They think that this book doesn't matter anymore. And that, yeah, we can pick and choose what really matters and what doesn't. Maybe, but this is really has some primitive things that don't really matter anymore. And we would, we would disagree with that. Or this isn't reliable. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into some tensions. We're going to look at three different tensions today. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would be in this place. God, would you fill the Spirit in your place? I pray God, today that we would, we would walk away more convinced that we can trust the Bible. I pray that we would walk away uh, more content, uh, convinced that there's going to be times that we don't agree, uh, like what the Bible says, but we can still follow it. And we're going to be convinced, God, that, that when we spend time with you, you're going to transform us. Like when we spend time reading your word, it's going to help transform us. And so God, would you move in this place? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first tension today is this. Uh, before I do that, the ushers, they have Bibles, pens, and message notes. If you need something, uh, a Bible, pen, or message notes, you can raise their hand and they'll, they'll hand one of those to you. Also, you can access our message notes at visitgracechurch.com slash live on our, uh, com slash live or on our Grace Church app as well. Our first tension we're going to be looking at today is, is about the Bible. Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible reliable? Uh, there are several people that will attack our faith. They'll say, hey, this book, you can't trust it. Yeah, it's been kept. Yeah, it's been written for a long time. But it's not the same book that you had thousands of years ago. Uh, hopefully we can move past that today. I'll, I'll give you some defense to that. But before I jump into that, I want to talk about uh, how Christianity existed and thrived before the Bible was completed. That Christianity existed and thrived before the Bible was completed. Paul and, and the early church believers, they did not walk around uh, Israel and the Roman Empire holding their leather-bound New King James Bible, okay? They weren't walking around saying, hey, open up to Philippians. No, he was writing Philippians, right? So they didn't do that. But the, 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 the church grew, right? You could actually argue that, that this was one of the greatest periods, if not the greatest period of growth in Christianity under immense persecution without a, a book, like a book version of the Bible. Like God moved. Now, why did that happen? We'll talk about that. We, we see that in Acts 2, 5, and 6. Acts 2, uh, the Lord added to their number daily. Acts 5, uh, believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Acts 6, uh, when the numbers of the disciples was multiplying, God was working. This is early in the book of Acts. And this would have been happening before any book of the New Testament even had a word in it. But the, the church was growing. Why was the church growing? Well, this guy named Jesus, right? We, we might know the story. He was born maybe 3, 4 BC. He was born, he lived 30 years, uh, had a three-year ministry. 
Uh, he claimed to be the Messiah. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And guess what? He did. He died and he rose again. And he sent and he commissioned uh, 12 guys, uh, or actually 11 after, uh, after uh, Judas left, right? But 11 guys said, hey, I want you to go into the world. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them uh, in all the earth. I want you to go. And you know what they did? They did it. They carried the name of Jesus saying, hey, there's this guy named Jesus. And when we believe in him, he'll take you from death to life. And he proved that he could do that because he was once dead and now he's alive. And so they knew Jesus, they met Jesus, they saw him. Over 500 people saw Jesus, he was alive, he died on the cross, and that he rose again. And he changed their lives so much that they took this message of hope and life to Jesus, and they spread it over the entire world, all over the entire known world, which is amazing, right? It grew, and it grew, and it grew. The temple around 70 in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, uh, was destroyed in 70. Uh, and that's, that's an important date for later, uh, but from, from the time of Jesus' death till about 312, uh, that's, that was a time of immense persecution because it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. It was illegal to follow Jesus. And so these people, they would say, hey, Jesus really didn't ri- raise from the dead. And they, they would say, yes, he did. Well, if you don't recant this, you're going to die. And they would go and they would die because they said, no, I saw him. I saw him. I knew it. Or I knew someone that met him and knew him and they, they did it. But 312, this guy named Constantine takes over the Roman Empire actually unifies the whole Roman Empire, is in, in, in charge of all of the different regions. And, and uh, he, he, he needs a way to actually bring these two diff- like different territories kind of all together. And he uses one thing and one thing only to unify it. Many historians uh, believe, I think most actually would say, he uses Christianity to be the bridge, to be the unifying factor through all of these different cultures throughout the entire Roman Empire. Which means... Within like 250 years, 280 years, that Christianity had grown and was so predominant in the known world that it was able to unify the Roman Empire. That's amazing. Without, without this, without a completed book of this. Now they had, they had letters, they, 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 they would have already been written at this point, but, but they didn't have their, their, you know, their leather bound Bible. They didn't have that. So what, what was the difference? What was the difference? The difference is, I think, is this, is, is, is that their faith was based, their faith was based on this, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was based on the person of Jesus. And they met Jesus, they saw him, they walked with him, and they saw him come back to life, and their lives were never the same. Their lives were transformed. And so, and then, like, someone else would, and, and then they would keep sharing it, and they would keep sharing it, and they'd keep sharing it, and they'd keep sharing it. Now you might say, hey, why are we talking about this? I thought this sermon was about the Bible, right? Like, when, when are we going to talk about the Bible stuff, right? My point is this, is my, I hope as we engage with conversations with people that maybe don't follow Jesus, or maybe people that struggle with the Bible itself, my, my hope is this, is before we start arguing or trying to defend this book, like, what if we introduced people to the life-changing power of Jesus, like, what if we introduce people to the life-changing power of Jesus first? Because the life-changing power of Jesus changed the whole world right after, he, right after Jesus died and was resurrected. And even for you, and for that to happen, we need to have life-changing things happening in our lives. So when's the last time something tangibly life-changing happened in your life that, that, that God did a work in you? Where someone would notice it and see it. 
Now, you might say, so you don't, you, Russell, you, you don't care about the Bible, do you? No, I actually love the Bible. I love studying the Bible. I think the Bible is immensely important. Like I've already said this. The Bible, like when we read the Bible, it's an opportunity, which is amazing, for you and I to encounter God. And when we encounter God, our lives are transformed. Like this is a book that we need to be spending time with. Not necessarily, not necessarily so we can know everything about it, although it would be great to know a lot. But mostly so that we could know God more, so that he can change us more, so we can meet with him, so that we can be changed more, so that others can see the change in our lives, so that we can point them back to Jesus. Now, I do want to talk about some defenses for this book, because I do think people will say, hey, this book, the New Testament you have today is not the same New Testament that you that they had back then. And I want to kind of defend that. Uh, there's a book called Stealing from God by Frank Turek. He, he was a co-author on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And he wrote a book called Stealing from God. And I, I took a lot of this from, I, I framed a lot of this from uh, his defense of the New Testament in this book, uh, Stealing from God, in ch- is chapter 7. And so he frames it like this, that, that, that the New Testament was written too early to, to, to be legend, or it's too early to not be the same, that we, to not be as accurate as we have it today. So the New Testament was written too early to be a legend. Typically, legends were written 200 or 300 years after someone existed. Um, the reason we know that is the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus, there were over 500 people that saw the resurrected Savior. That is so amazing. As well as, uh, I talked about the temple earlier, right? The temple was destroyed in 70, all right? Not one of the New Testament writers mentions the temple other than when Jesus prophesies its destruction. So it, the logic behind that is, is this was such a monumental moment in the history of the world for that day, one would think one of the New Testament writers would mention that. Therefore, it is likely or more likely that the New Testament books were written earlier than the destruction of the temple. And if that's the case, that means that the New Testament books were written before 70. Jesus died around 30, meaning the New Testament books were written within 40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's remarkable. That's amazing. That, that means that it's not a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew Jesus. That's like there's a guy who actually saw Jesus die and, and rise from the grave who wrote that book. Or a guy that knew a guy who saw Jesus die and, and, and was risen from the grave who wrote the New Testament books, which gives a lot of validity to this book. The New Testament is incredibly elaborate. Uh, Luke 3, 1 and 2 says this. Look at, look at the detail in this, this, this chapter. Now, in the 15th century year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, the tetrarch of Ituria, the region of Tychonicus and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, with Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now, if I was going to make up a story about Jesus, I wouldn't use this kind of detail. You know what I mean? Think about this. Think about this for a second. If you were going to make up a story, you'd be like, yeah, there was a ruler on some time, like, I don't know, like years ago, you know, but like, this is immense detail. And the reason it's doing it, it's, it's to, to say, hey, no, this is not, this is not a legend. This is a fact. Also, the, the so we have thousands of copies of, of copies of the manuscript. So they would take the letter, let's say of Philippians. And they would handwrite 
they would handwrite the, the, the next letter. We have, a, we have those copies, right? So we have the, the original letter, they would handwrite the original copy from the original letter. We have thousands of those copies today. Now, another argument against the validity of the New Testament is they say, well, of those copies, how many of those agree? Like, are those all the exact same? And they have some, they have some varying differences in them, but the differences are like this. It would be like me saying, yeah, one says hello and one says hi. All right. Is that much difference? Does that mean the same thing? Yes, it does. I have a picture of a New Testament Bible actually that I have. And, uh, this, this right here, this is John 1. On the left side is John 1 in English. On the right side is John 1 in Greek. Uh, you'll notice the footnote. The footnote has the major variances that exist in all of the manuscripts in the bottom on the Greek side. And what this does is if you are like, if you're really concerned that the different, like there's a lot of differences in the Bible, this will show you, and it'll show you on every, every chapter of the entire New Testament, this will show you and allow you to kind of test those. But if you would go through all of the different variances, what you would find is this, is none of the variants have any theological or historical impact to the text. That's amazing. So we have thousands of copies of the original manuscripts, and none of the different variances have any impact on theological points of view or, or historical points of view, which is incredible, which is incredible. Here's my, here's my last one. This might be my favorite is, what did all the other people of the day say about Jesus? Not just like Christians, not like the biblical scholars or the writers, but what did all the other people of the day say about Jesus? Check this out. They said this, Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar. We can confirm that. That's true. He lived a, 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 I can't say this word, a virtuous life. He was a wonder worker. Yeah, he did miracles. He did a lot of miracles. He, he had a brother named James. Did you know that Jesus had a brother named James? Yeah, he did. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. Yeah, people called him the Messiah, and we believe he was the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Yeah, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. An eclipse and earthquake occurred when he died. Yeah, that happened too. He was crucified on the eve of Jewish Passover. He, he, his disciples believed he rose from the dead. His, his disciples were willing to die for their beliefs. All of these people, all of these facts are not from, from the Bible. These are from other people affirming what the Bible says. That's amazing. That is amazing. That shows that we can really trust that the book that you have in your hand of the New Testament is the same book that, you, that you, they wrote 2,000 years ago. So we see the New Testament is reliable, or, and we didn't have time to unpack all of the different proofs. That would be another you know, six hours, um, which, and everyone said amen. Um, but what about, what about the Old Testament? And I don't have time to unpack that, and again, everyone said amen. Uh, but... Uh, but if you can get, at least I'll say this, if you can get, if you can get to a point where you say, yeah, like there's proof outside the Bible that the resurrection, resurrection exists and that there's a lot of proof that affirms the New Testament, then Jesus talks about the Old Testament in a very, he talks about it as scripture, then we could affirm that the Old Testament is scripture as well. That's a very brief argument and uh, before we move to our next tension. So our next tension is this, is what if I don't agree with the Bible? Like, what if I don't agree with the Bible? Have you ever had a moment where you, like, at least you wanted to disagree with the Bible? Or maybe the Bible says something and I don't like it. I know that's true, right? Like, and I, I, I feel this way too. Like, there's things about the Bible I wish were different. But there's some of us that, like, we really disagree with the Bible. So we're going to talk about uh, some, uh, some ways to, to think about that and to help us with that. Uh, Pastor Tim is going to share a little, a little word with us via video. Hey guys, 
I'm off this weekend, but Russell asked if I had any thoughts regarding tensions around the Bible. And the answer is yes, I wanted to share that. But just for fun, hey, video team, can we do this session at the beach? That is awesome. I'm not at the beach. Okay, but here's the deal. I think there's a common philosophy people have, a three-step process to say the Bible is flawed. It starts with step one, my heart. What kind of God could I envision? What kind of God am I comfortable with? What do I feel? Step two, okay, what's the Bible say? Hey, this is good. I agree with that. This is not good. That doesn't feel real good. Step three, who's right? Well, I, I can't be wrong. I mean, how could something that, you know, be so wrong if it feels so right? And I guess a few questions to challenge that assumption, starting with your heart. Number one, what if you didn't actually read the scripture itself? Like many people take other people's words for it. Or what if you're disagreeing with something in the Bible, but you didn't understand what you read? You misread it. Or number three, what if you didn't read it in context? I can't tell you how many times the questions come up where they said, what does the Bible say here? And I have no idea. So I suggest, let's read the whole chapter. And boom, there's the answer. Or, what if you weren't even the target audience of that commandment in Scripture? That was given to the nation of Israel. Jesus wiped out that law. Or, what if our feelings are wrong and God's Word is right? great example of this comes from Timothy Keller. He has a great message, by the way, on Bible inerrancy. And he gives the example of the way forgiveness and sexuality, those two topics, are addressed differently in the East and West. So in the West, how do we view forgiveness? We love it. You got to forgive people. You got to forgive your enemies. We love that. Sexuality? We don't like that. What God says goes against our feelings. I mean, how could something so wrong feel so right when it comes to sexuality? In the Middle East, it's the exact opposite. So they say, well, I am not forgiving people. I'm not forgiving that race, that religion, that people. No way. We in the West are saying, how could you not forgive? Regarding sexuality, they love it. They say, yeah, what God says, we totally agree. Feels right, makes sense to us. And that would just be just like God. Wouldn't God, if he was God and different than us, have something in each culture, uh, Timothy Keller points out, that goes counter to what God is saying? My question to you is this. Really examine the, the root thoughts you have about this topic. Are you beginning with your heart, your feelings, your comfort level? We all can be off base on those things. Or deep down, are you starting with the Word of God? What if I don't understand it? What if I don't get it? What if it's not even to me? What if, what if my feelings are off base? Explore what's at the root. You know, Tim is awesome just to take a moment just to kind of speak into this. I'm going to unpack two Two thoughts that he had. Um, one is this, is what if I think the Bible says something it doesn't? Sometimes uh, we hear that the Bible says things, uh, but it actually doesn't say those things. And if, if today you're here and you just go, you know, I just disagree with the Bible. I just disagree with the Bible. I don't like the Bible. I disagree with the Bible. I don't, it said this about this one thing, and I don't like that, so I don't like any of it. And I want you to reconsider, maybe the Bible says something, or you think the Bible says something that it doesn't. For example, this is a, kind of a silly example. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, money is the root of evil? Money is the root of evil. Yeah, we've heard this phrase before. Uh, and people, you know, they put it on bumper stickers. They put it, they really don't. They wear t-shirts, but they put it signs, right? Money is the root of evil. I need to remember, the, they put it in banks. Money is the root of evil, right? And, uh, 
And, and if that was true, then none of us should actually hold on to our money. Like we should just get rid of it as, as quickly as possible. But that's actually not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of evil. And so, but, but there's so many people out there that will just, that will literally just say, well, you know, the money's the root of evil. God bless you, you know? But, but they're missing the point. It's, it's the love of money. It's worshiping money is the root of evil. And so, but this could happen at a grander level. And if, that, if that's you today, I would really ask you to reconsider. Maybe you think the Bible says something that it doesn't. The second one is this, is what if I read the Bible out of context? What if I read the Bible out of context? We all have lenses of which we read the Bible. You and I, uh, based on our, our, our culture, based on our background, based on, could be our denominational upbringing, whatever it may be, we, we all read something into the scriptures unintentionally, but we do. We bring something to the scriptures. And sometimes uh, it's based on where, where we are in history. Like I bring my 21st century view into the first century or earlier reading of scripture. And sometimes those definitions that, that they're talking about in here might be different than my concept of that, that understanding or that, that word or phrase in my 21st century view. So I would, I would encourage you, maybe, maybe, if you disagree with the Bible, maybe um, you're, you're reading your context into its context. And maybe it would be good for you to, to look in to see what, what is the context of whatever your disagreement is actually says. Now, I would like to say, when dealing with this tension specifically about disagreeing with the Bible, it's important is, do we begin with how we feel, or do we begin with what God says? And uh, our culture says to begin with how we feel. Um, I believe that God is encouraging us to begin with, what, where, where, what, does, what does God say about this? Now, our, our third tension is this, is what if I don't know or understand the Bible? What if I don't know or understand the Bible? Now, uh, Jesus gives us a method for, for how we are to approach uh, questions that we have about the Bible. Now, how many of you, how many of you uh, have ever been asked a Bible question and you didn't know the answer to? Right? Yes. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know all of the answers to the Bible. Okay? I don't know. And, and there, 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 it would be hard to find someone that knows all the answers to the Bible. Maybe Tim Howey knows all of the answers to the Bible. I don't know. But I think he does. I think he does, but I don't know all the answers, right? But Jesus gives us a method when we don't know what should we do. Uh, and it's different from start with your feelings. It's found in Luke 10, 25 through 26. And it says this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is the question he's, he's asking. What, how do I inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? And he said, What is your reading? This is Jesus. What is your reading of it? So three-part method. The first is, what, what question are you asking? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get into Bible conversations, or even as I'm asking Bible questions, I don't even know what question I'm asking, right? I, I'm asking 12 questions, and we have to narrow the question down. What question are we actually asking so that we can, we can see what the Bible says about it? The second thing that Jesus says is, basically, what does the Bible say? Like, what, what does the Bible say about that? Now, I don't know about you, but m most of us don't know where every verse is in all of the Bible. All right? There's there maybe like one or two people that are like, yeah, I know where that verse is. I know where that verse is. Or every verse ever mentioned on every topic in the Bible, unless they just do word studies all the time. So I'm going to really encourage you is if you don't know where, where the Bible says, it's okay. Like, I'm going to go ahead and relieve the pressure. I don't know where every verse is in the Bible. You don't have to know where every verse is in the Bible. It's okay. Here's a good thing. You live in the 21st century. It's one of the good joys. You have the Google. You know what I'm talking about? 
You got Google. I mean, all you got to do is go verses on joy. I mean, put in the Bible, you might get some weird verses if you just say verses on joy. You might get some other stuff there, but verses on joy. And you got it. It's right there. 91 verses on joy. It's amazing. Uh, Hey, what does the Bible say about marriage? 91 verses on, or not 91, probably like, you know, let's say 45. 45 verses on marriage. All right. What does the Bible say about praise? 2,000 verses on praise. They're all in Psalms and all over the Bible, right? You can find it. It's at your fingertips. Now, you have to be a little careful here because what can happen is you might slip onto someone's blog about what they think about all those verses. But to, to do step two is all you need, you don't, you, don't need, you don't need the commentary on those verses. All you need is I need a list of verses on these things, right? That's all you got to do. This is what Jesus says. And, and then the last one is how do you interpret uh, what, what the Bible says? So you're not interpreting your feelings. You're saying, if I was to say, hey, if I was to summarize, what does this actually say? That, that, that's what, that's, this is what it says. It's not based on feeling. It's not based on, on your, own, uh, your own lenses that you bring into it. It's, no, this is what the Bible says about this. Now, and it's a great method. And it, it's kind of counter to the, the world, the world, the world's current view of starting with feelings then bible and if my feelings disagree i do whatever i want because i want to do what my feelings say and and really it's it's a it's a start with god approach versus a start with me approach and that's that's really the difference in culture is the culture says hey you start with yourself this approach that jesus is saying is you start with god god has given us his word let's see what he says about it and then you know if i don't like it I need to work out that in my own way. And there's still things that I read that I don't like, but I go, you know what, I, I agree with this and I affirm this because it's in the Bible, it's in what God says. I, I do think this, though. Um, I think that, that for some of us, we've been crippled by, by this book. Not, not, not saying that the Bible has crippled you, but I think we've been discouraged because we feel like we don't know enough and we feel like we should know more. I think there are people in this room that say, hey, you know what? I, I don't feel like I'm smart enough or I, know, I don't know enough theology or Christian stuff to, to where I can understand and grow in this. So I just kind of leave this for someone else to, to worry about. And I'm just going to try to be a good person. And, and I, like for, for me, I, I, I feel like you're missing out. Not because you need to know more, but because I, I truly believe that when we read this book, when we open these pages and we spend time reading three, four, five, ten verses, and we ask God to speak to us, he will. He will. I think for some of us, too, is like we've been in, in cultures to where like spiritual maturity is about all the Bible facts you know. It's like playing Bible Jeopardy. Like if you know all of the Bible Jeopardy uh, answers, then, then you're a spiritual person, and that's awesome. But spiritual maturity is not based on, on, on the knowledge of God. It's based on knowing God. Spiritual maturity is, is not based on the knowledge of God, but, but based on knowing God. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not, let not the mighty man in his, in his might. Let not the rich man in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this. Listen. That he understands and knows me. Does not say the one that knows the most Bible verses. <laughs> It doesn't say the one that knows the most about me. It's that understands and knows me. Do you know God? Like, do you know God? Because this is, this, and, and this is a book, the, the reason I'm encouraging you to read this book is not to memorize more facts, because it, it is so that you can encounter the living God. And I think there's too many people 
too many people who have been on the sidelines thinking that they're, they're, they're not good enough, they don't know enough, and they're just going to sit this one out. They're just going to sit this one out. And I don't think that's what God has for you. I don't think that's what God has for your families. I think there's, there's husbands in this room that your wife is the spiritual leader of your family, and you, but you desire to be that person. Like you desire to be that person. You desire to be the spiritual leader of your family, but you don't know where to begin. And, and every time you start a spiritual conversation, you get d- d- discouraged because you don't know enough. Don't make it about what you know. Make it about knowing him. Don't make it about knowing more. Make it about knowing him. Make it about walking with God and then teaching your family to do the same. There's moms in here, the same thing. You just feel like, hey, you know, I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. I don't know the Bible stories. That's okay. And you know what? Maybe it's not that you, maybe you don't even need to do it on your own. Maybe you need to find someone that you admire, that you look up to. Hey, I really notice that, that you do this really well. I want you to show me how to do this. I want you to show me how to lead my family. I want you to show me how you lead my family spiritually. I want you to show me how to be a, a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad. Or I'm going to show you how to be a, maybe it's you're, you're a student in here. And you want, I'm going to show you how to be a, a son or a daughter. Or I want you to show me how to be a young man or, or, or a, a young woman in this place. But I, I don't want us to miss out on all of the things, all of the good things that God has for you. Just because... We've been discouraged because we think that depth is this uh, elusive spiritual step that we have to attain before God loves us and will use us. Like God wants, to, God wants to use you right now. God wants to speak to every single one of you right now. God wants to, to, you to know him more right now. He's not, he's not waiting for you to fix something. He's not waiting for you to change something. He's not waiting for you to, 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 to learn something. He's waiting right now. And, and, and here's the cool thing is, this isn't the only way, but this is one of the best ways that we can literally encounter God. Open up, if you've never done it before, open up the Psalm 1, just read Psalm 1 and just ask God to speak to you. Read John 1, ask God to speak to you. Read, I mean, there's so many different things that God can do. We had a guy in our church, he sent an email to Tim, and, uh, and he, he would say that, that for the, most of his adult Christian life that he really never read the Bible. He would say, hey, I've never really read the Bible. And uh, he said, but, you know, I was having some stuff going on in my family and, um, and, and life circumstances. And, uh, and he says, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to start reading the Bible. So he started reading the Bible, started reading the Bible every day. And he sent, like, this two-page email. This is crazy. This two-page email typed it up. And it's not like, like, like I like big fonted things. I like to read the big fonted books, you know. Yeah, anyone else? Cool. Um, and, uh, but it's like a ten font. It's like two-page email about all of the verses that God's been sharing with him. Just hey, I've never read the Bible before, but the Bible is changing my life. You would not believe this. And this could be your story, right? Like this could be you. Like, hey, like I've always felt like I couldn't read the Bible. I don't know enough. But, but the Bible, like he started reading it and God started speaking to him. It's crazy. And, the, and, and it's not crazy because it actually happens all the time. And, 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 uh, and his life was changing. He starts talking about the circumstances. Hey, God, give me a verse for my, 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 my family. God, give me a verse for this in my life. God, give me a verse for this, this in your life. And maybe you need God to touch you today. Like maybe you need God to, to come down from heaven, which he's already in this place, and speak to you today about you know what. Like you need him to do that. You know what? God will. I believe it that God will. Like this guy who needed God to show up, and he did, and his life is changed because of it, and, he, and, and God used his word to do it, and God wants to do the same thing with you. So don't give up. 
Don't give up. If that's you, don't give up. Give it a shot. Don't give up. Don't let someone else squelch the fear of, 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 of not being good enough or smart enough or knowing enough. Shame you into not missing out on what God wants to do or speak to you right now today. Let's pray. So God, would you, would you speak to us, God? Would you encounter us today, God? I, I pray right now, God, even in this next, uh, these next songs that we sing, God, that you would, you would move in us. God, I believe there's people in here that, that want to know you more. I believe there's people in here that are in dire need of you to show up in their lives. And God, would you show up? We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.